0: Welcome to Eat, Drink, Think. I'm Gibson Thomas. In this podcast from Edible Communities, a network of magazines published in the US, Canada, and Mexico, we celebrate the impact of local sustainable agriculture and food production. Today, thanks to our partners at American Farmland Trust, we have the opportunity to speak with three people from different corners of the US who have unique experience and insight about farmer's markets, their challenges, and opportunities. I will introduce our three guests. I'd like to welcome Robbie Mixon, the Executive Director of both the Alaska Food Policy Council and the Alaska Farmers Market Association. Robbie has recently retired, ha <laughs> from a decade serving as the director of her local Homer Alaska Farmers Market she formerly served as the local foods director for a regional nonprofit, Cook Inlet Keeper, where she started the state's first food hub, now in its eighth season of operation. I hope, Robbie, you'll talk to us about what a food hub is. I'm not sure everyone will know that, and they are also very important. Robbie's current projects include developing an Alaska food systems network, convening a food hub working group and co-authoring a report for the governor's office on food security. Our next guest is Andy Najah-Reese, who is the chief executive officer of the Agricultural Institute of Marin, right here in my home territory. AIM is a Bay Area nonprofit that works to educate, inspire, and connect communities, responsible farmers and producers as part of a healthy, earth-friendly, equitable local and regional food system. In his current role, Andy is a champion for a systems approach to connecting small to mid-sized farmers and producers with communities in a way that is empowering, responsible, and socially just. Andy is a leading an ambitious effort to build the Center for Food and Agriculture, one of the world's first closed-loop zero waste farmers markets and educational centers that will foster healthier, resilient communities by fighting for better food, climate justice and equity. Thank you, Andy, for that work. Our next guest is Michaela Perry. Michaela is the New York policy manager for American Farmland Trust. She advocates for farmland protection, farmland access and farmer viability. Leading two statewide coalitions, New York Grown Food for New York Kids and the Alliance for New York's Farmland. Holding a BA in political science and an MA in food studies, Michaela lobbies on behalf of AFT for farmer focused policies in areas such as land use laws and urban agriculture, local food purchasing incentives, and agrivoltaics. She is also a visual artist using oil paintings to elevate stories of farmers and the food system. A fifth generation farmer herself, Michaela has worked in farm-based education, agriculture, and policy for over a decade. Thank you to all of our guests. Welcome. So I think we all saw during the pandemic how important locally produced food was when we found grocery store shelves empty, you know, in in places where food was not grown locally in urban centers um, that weren't close to farmland. There was panic, and rightfully so, and it all really woke a lot of people up who weren't already aware of this of just how important it is for food to be grown in every location, but then what do you do with it? Um, Farmer's markets for me are not just a place to buy your food, but I toured with Andy, our local market a few weeks ago, and it's just the community building potential is, is really incredible that you don't get from a grocery store. And so I think all of the work that you're doing is is so important. And I guess we'll start, um, let's talk to, to Robbie and, and Andy and Robbie, we'll start with you about what it really means to the viability of a, of a farmer to be able to reach direct to consumers through a farmer's market.
1: Hi, thanks for having me today. And it's awesome to be able to talk about, uh, the impact of Alaska's farmers markets. We uh, Just a fun fact before I get started. Alaska is the number one state for agricultural growth, according to the 2018 census. We'll see what this one says, but um, farmers markets have played an integral role in that. And um, we have over a thousand farmers now, and at least half of them are selling through a farmers market or a food hub. So absolutely crucial to our um, local food scene here in Alaska. How many farmers markets do you have? Well, in 2005, we only had 13 and we're still working on our uh, 2023 directory, but right now we have 64 that we know about. We're sure there's some hidden in our smaller communities that we haven't heard about yet.
0: Wow. And so you, you feel like having a farmer's markets and direct-to-consumer through them is really important for your state.
1: Yeah, it's very important. Our state, about 86% of our communities are located off of a road system. So that means all the food that isn't grown and sold locally is flown in or barged in. So um, farmer's markets go a tremendous, um, build tremendous capacity for our food security while offering um, some regenerative economic uh, activities, which are pretty important in a state like Alaska, that's uh, um, most of our budgets built off of uh, natural resource extraction. So, Um,
0: And do you have year-round farmers markets in Alaska? We know you're you're (laughs) somewhat climate challenged a few months of the year.
1: Yeah, we we do have a handful of year-round markets and a handful of our food hubs are actually operating year-round. Um, there's been a lot of investment in season extension technology. So, for instance, the uh, borough, we have boroughs here in Alaska, <laughs> um, that I live in have had over $3 million um, invested in high tunnel technology, and that's done... Um, quite a bit in adding, you know, two, three months, um, onto our growing season. And then, um, there's quite a bit of hydroponic, um, and indoor growing, um, popping up, especially in our more rural communities.
0: And, and who, who is funding that? Um, the high tunnel program was an NRCS program. Um, so you feel that having farmers markets and, that you're actually able, are you increasing the number? If you if you're increasing the number of farmers markets, you must be increasing the number of farmers.
1: Yep, we are. <laughs> like I said, yes, but there's there's more farmers.
0: farmers and farmland. I yes, we yeah. That's fantastic. That's yeah. fantastic. And Andy, you wanna you wanna address this question as well? How, I mean, you obviously think farmers markets are crucial.
2: Farmers markets are my happy place. And we, it's interesting. And actually I met Robbie recently. We were at the intense conference, uh, an industry conference in San Diego for farmers market staff and managers. So it, it's always interesting. There's this, there's this sense among the public where people think farmers markets just happen. So all these farmers <laughs> and producers just all randomly decide to show up at the same location on a given day. And just how much work and effort goes into operating and managing high quality markets. And we have a really amazing team and staff and volunteers that make that possible. But for us, so our model, we focus on operating certified farmers markets. California has a certified farmers market program where markets are certified by the uh, state department of food and agriculture, as well as county agricultural commissioners. And we operate nine certified farmers markets across three Bay Area counties, so Marin County, San Francisco County, and Alameda County. And we serve about 402 small to mid-sized farmers, fishers, ranchers, small food businesses, and artisans. And we estimate that about 40,000 people visit our markets weekly. And I think in many ways, and just going back to your point about COVID, it, it was interesting because we... We're really fortunate that during the COVID pandemic, that farmers markets were deemed essential services and uh, AIM, along with some of our partners, advocated all the way to the governor's office to keep farmers markets in operation during this time. And that was so critical because for many of our farmers, they lost all of their restaurant and wholesale businesses overnight with shelter in place orders. So the farmers market became a primary outlet for them to sell and also for Many shoppers and eaters being able to access locally grown foods outdoor in a in a safe setting was really important when maybe they didn't feel comfortable going to a grocery store. So um, I think in many ways that's been one of the silver linings of of the whole COVID pandemic that it really reinforced the importance of our local food systems uh, and really made it clear that farmers markets are, are a viable outlet and. There's actually data that shows um, that farmers that sell direct to consumers for every dollar sold, they earn about 90 cents on the dollar compared to sales through wholesale channels that their returns are about 15 to 17 cents. So economically for being able to farmers to sell directly to the public is really critical to their bottom line. Um, we also see many of our small to mid-sized farmers that are able to uh develop long-standing relationships with customers i love seeing when you have multi-generational families coming to the market with the grandma the mother and the child um, who are all coming together sharing their joy and love of seasonal produce and connecting with farmers it's it's really special to see that
0: well i I often find myself standing at a, a farmer's market booth and you'll have someone come up and say well you know, I don't know what I would do with a rutabaga. And I'm like, talk to the farmer because they definitely have an abundance of it and whatever they're not selling or maybe the more imperfect specimens of whatever they're selling, they're cooking a lot of it. And so just that connection to be able to show, you know, talk to the person who's growing your food, get recipes from them, tips, and also... For the farmer to be able to, um, you know, really get appreciation from the consumers, I think, is a very different sort of thing than selling to a wholesaler and knowing that it's going to a restaurant somewhere. And so I think to get that direct feedback at a farmer's market from consumers, from their kids is really a, a big bonus. Um, and we'll will keep them doing what they do on our behalf. And Andy, uh, your um, Center for Food and Agriculture that aim is raising money for right now a a big part of the mission of that. You know, you're calling it a permanent farmers market structure that will. I mean, you you can tell our our listeners part of it, but please speak about the educational programs that you're already offering to farmers through? And it sounds like, Robbie, they're doing some of the same educational programs for farmers about different farming methods and things like, uh, I know, Andy, you just hosted something about drought tolerance.
2: We started a program during the pandemic that was funded by the USDA's local food promotion program. Uh, We called it Growing Success, where we provide trainings in person and virtual and one-on-one technical assistance to farmers and small food businesses about how to improve their marketing and sales. And we've worked with a variety of partners like kitchen table advisors and the small business development center. And I want to give a shout out as well to Felice Thorpe, who's been an amazing marketing partner to us as well. So we've provided a variety of trainings from how do you farm with less water? Um, although now things have transitioned from drought to flooding, so it's now it's how do you farm and managing flooding, but um, also how do you develop marketing and sales platforms for your business because for small farmers, they can't compete on price alone. They have to differentiate themselves by their farming practices, their values, um, the types of varietals that they grow, and then also a variety of um, trainings focused on How can farmers recruit and find people to work on farms? Um, What are different hiring mechanisms and what are ways to develop your brand? Or if you're thinking about creating a new website or social media, it's just, it's really important because I think for farmers and for all people in the food business, people work with such passion and we want to also make sure that we can tell their stories in an authentic way. And that really helps to lift up their businesses, support their families, support their, their their workers, and help keep growing food and feeding their communities. We are in the process of developing our new Center for Food and Agriculture, so that will address many of the problems in our food system. So number one, with uh, small family farmers not receiving financial support from a heavily subsidized uh, federal food system, which is tied to the Farm Bill, also just changing climate conditions as well as high rates of food insecurity in our communities, and then also addressing um, people who have had less access to to capital um, because of centuries of historic oppression and systemic discrimination. So we're really looking to address that.
0: Amazing. So it sounds like you and Robbie just were at a conference together. And so do you find that farmers market operators are getting together and sharing best practices that then get disseminated to your constituencies, to your farmers.
1: So one of the uh, main reasons I started the Alaska Farmers Market Association is because when I came on as uh, the Homer Farmers Market Director, I was handed a very thin binder with about four pieces of paper and then said, good luck, run the market. And so I was reaching out, um, looking for different resources to help um, uh, make our market run operationally a little bit better. So um, we just didn't have that support in our state. So I um, found the Farmer's Market Coalition and was able to get a lot out of that partnership. So I wanted that for other market managers in Alaska. Um, Recently, we had a specialty crop block grant, which is part of the Farm Bill. Um, So very important for farmers markets. And we actually built out a whole Alaska farmers market toolkit. So we looked at toolkits from all over the nation, pulled out our uh, favorite resources, created our own, and we have this physical and an online um, toolkit now that is helping um, new markets and existing markets just improve um, their markets so they can uh, sell more local food for their farmers.
0: Fantastic. Well, I know American Farmland Trust has been supporting farmers markets since the beginning. Twenty five years ago, they helped establish the first producers only farmers market in the Washington, D.C. area. That was back in 1997. And that's expanded into um, a lot more markets. And I know, Andy, you talked about being a, a certified farmers market. And I know part of that is that the farmers are actually selling what they're producing and you, you go around and audit the farms to make sure that they actually are growing. And I think that's really important, um, that it's, it doesn't turn into just, um, a wholesale market at, you know, at when people think they're buying direct from the farmers and Michaela, Can you talk about American Farmland Trust working with farmer's markets?
3: Yes, we are um, in a few different ways. So first, I'll speak to the farmer's market piece. Um, You already did a great job of talking about the history of AFT's involvement with farmer's markets in D.C. Um, But we do help market managers connect. And we've also partnered with the Farmer's Market Coalition. Shout out to them. Um, to share educational resources and toolkits on the AFMC website. And also for the past 15 years, we've presented the America's Farmers Market Celebration Program in partnership with the Farmers Market Coalition, and that's to recognize the importance of farmers markets and also to celebrate them. Um, So last year, the celebration represented thousands of markets that received over a total of 160,000 votes from around the country. Um, and I just want to say that we're running this again this year and starting on June 19th through September 18th, you market farmers market fans at home can actually vote for your favorite farmers market um, on our website at markets.farmland.org. And so those top markets with the most votes will win a piece of a $15,000 prize pool.
0: Get out the vote.
3: <laughs> right. Get out to vote. Nominate your farmers markets. I know I will be as well. It's a really cool and fun thing. And then just to speak to the educational piece, and I can, you know, later on get into some of our educational uh components for producers um, and trainings for producers that we have. But I just want to share a really fun story about some other ways that we're connected to farmer's markets and educational opportunities that you may not necessarily think of when you think of the American Farmland Trust. Um, So we have a program in New York called Farm to Institution New York State. Uh, We affectionately call it Finesse. And that's a program I've been working on for several years. Um, And we connect local producers in New York State to schools and other institutions that are hoping to bring in more nourishing and locally available foods. Um, But we also run the New York Farm to School Institute, where we run a professional development program for schools across the state. And this is a year long program. And we essentially help the schools to achieve their farm to school goals and dreams. And one of our alumni schools is based, I'm based in New York City, and one of our alumni schools is as well. And um, they're just doing incredible work. So I want to share a little bit about them. Um, They're located in Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan and most of their students come from black and brown communities in upper Manhattan, the Bronx and and Queens. And the teachers and staff of this school are so dedicated to ensuring their students are connected to their food system and that the families also have access to food. Um, And many of the students are becoming future thought leaders. It's just a really great program they have at this public high school. But I think it's no secret that farmers markets haven't always felt the most inclusive, especially in large urban areas. Um, I'd love a farmers market in central Harlem if we could get one. Anyone listening? (laughs) Anyone listening out there? Central Harlem. Um, But So what the teachers at this school did is they used our stipend that we give through this program, um, the Farm to School Institute, to bring the students on a field trip to the green market here in Manhattan. And they gave them each a certain amount of money, just some dollar bills and a scavenger hunt. And the students got to go into the green market and play and do the scavenger hunt and meet producers, producers who look like them producers who are growing foods that are familiar and comforting to them, culturally relevant foods, we call that. Producers who speak the same languages as their families speak and really see themselves in the food system, represented in the food system. And I think that's the beauty of farmer's markets is it doesn't have to be this elitist thing that sometimes it's made out to be. It's really about getting food to communities. And um, I thought that was an awesome activity that they came up with, and the students had a great time. Yeah, that's
0: incredible. Remember the the first time I went to an event at a Boys and Girls Club in San Francisco, and they had an edible schoolyard that Alice Waters of Chez Panisse in Berkeley started. And this young woman came up and said, before she started going to that after school program and working in the garden, farming food there her favorite food, her favorite meal was white rice and ketchup. And I, I wept when she was like, and now, you know, I'm telling my mom, we have to buy fresh fruits and vegetables. And, you know, I know, um, a lot of times we're talking about, you know, telling, say a a single parent with multiple kids and they're working at least one job or multiple. Oh, you know, we, we want you to go to the farmer's market and get your food for the week and come home and cook it. And, um, you know, it may be quicker and potentially cheaper in the short run to go pick up fast food, but it doesn't have the emotional calories of going, seeing where, you know, your food actually comes from, and either in the dirt or at the farmer's market and having it lovingly prepared will fill you up so much more than something that you drive through the window and, and pick it up. And it's definitely not good for you and leading to all sorts of long-term diseases and short-term things like diabetes, which is, is on the increase. So the more people that we can get to cooking, um, that's really, you know, a mission of mine to, to tell people that it is very important to cook and starting with these fresh ingredients that you buy at the farmer's market, there's not a whole lot you have to do to it. And you can ask the farmer what, what they do to it, but they're not making elaborate, um, productions with it. But I think, you know, the, the schools they're Robbie, you may have some educational programs where you're bringing, kids' school children to your markets. I know they do here in Marin on Farm Day, uh, which just happened a Thursday um, a few weeks ago. It's a madhouse at the market, and they also do the same scavenger hunt. But it's amazing to see those kids, a lot of whom have never been to the farmer's market, and I bet they're going to go home and tell their parents they got to go back because it's really a fantastic experience.
1: Yeah, at our farmers market here, we actually have a kids vending day. So we take a, a little a step further and actually allow the kids to sell anything they've made. We have some pretty uh, pretty good cottage food laws here in Alaska too. So kids are able to you know value add some of that food. Um, and then, like Andy uh, mentioned, doing uh, chef demonstrations that. Um, present our public with really low cost, low equipment, you know, some, some people in Alaska, there's a lot of houses that don't have water. So we need to have, you know, relatively easy, quick meals that people can learn how to make. And like you said, learn how to use those rutabagas that are popping up.
0: Well, I think a a lot of it is, um, you know, the, the farmer education We have a wonderful Star Out Farms that was the, what were they, the first certified organic farmer's market west of the Mississippi, I think?
2: Yeah, the first continuously certified organic row crop farm.
0: Amazing. That's still coming to Andy's market here in Marin. And Warren Weber, who was the founding farmer there, has said, you know, there are plenty of places that you can learn how to grow a carrot, but value add like to turn that carrot into carrot juice, or you're going to ferment it. That is really what increases the economic viability for a farmer. There may be a lot of people growing carrots, but if you can do something with that carrot that gives you higher margins on it, and I feel like farmer's markets are the perfect place to offer that education to the farmers and then for a place for them to sell it to the consumers.
2: Yeah, and Gibson, that's something we're seeing more farmers that are producing value-added products like jams and jellies and hot sauces. It it really helps them to have year-round sales and operations and also they can sell it at um, often a higher price point. But I think then also teaching shoppers and eaters about how to preserve food and store food is is just as important too. We know there's a lot of problems with household food waste and we're really thinking about ways that we can provide education on storing food and uh, using compost as well. That's as part of our food system. And when you're talking about educational tours, that for me is something that's so important. So we run a program called Dig in Education, where our team Will bring school age groups and older adults to come and do tours of the farmer's market to learn how to shop the farmer's market with confidence, understanding seasonality, understanding the difference between organic versus conventional, and why it's important to buy an apple that was grown 20 miles away versus an apple that was imported from New Zealand. So we have a lot of education and then scavenger hunts and things like that. And it's really interesting because for a lot of the children, they will say that these tours, it it brings them back to the farmer's market. And as they grow up, they'll talk with such fond memories of their farmer's market tours. Um, We also then bring children out to visit the farms. So we do uh, on-farm tours where children can learn about how food is grown and how wool fibers are are produced. And for many children, it, it could be their first time actually visiting a working farm. And it's these field trips can be really transformational. It's it's really incredible, and we and also it's fun. It's well, you mentioned farm day before too. So our, our team did a whole activity focused on using your senses. So we set up a station where there was uh, people would smell different types of local foods and herbs. Um, they would touch it to understand the different types of textures because as you know, eating is is about using all of your senses, and it was really incredible to to hear the children just laugh and experience joy with their local food products.
0: Well, I know, Andy, you also operate the Rolling Route, which is a mobile farmer's market that goes out to underserved communities. And a lot of people are astounded when they find out that, you know, some of the ranches, especially um, that are raising meat here in Marin County, that a lot of those workers don't have access to a grocery store and the gas it would take to get to a grocery store is cost prohibitive to go on a regular basis. And then there are senior centers that I know we've covered in the magazine that um, the rolling route is going to, and you're making sure that the offerings that the mobile farmer's market um, has on the truck that day, that they are um, some ethnic foods that if you've got an Asian community or an African-American community, that they're not, you know, they are foods that are tailored to those people's cultural heritage and what they want to eat and prepare, what they know how to eat and prepare.
2: Yeah. And we've, we launched the Roland route in August, 2018 to really overcome the problem that, uh, Not everyone has access to farmer's markets due to issues of transportation or mobility and also price point and affordability. So we bring the farmer's market directly to where people live through our roll and root program. We serve 14 different senior centers um, with partnerships like EAH and Mercy Housing. These are low-income senior center sites. We also work with community partners, healthcare clinics in Marin County and San Francisco County to bring the farmer's market experience to places where people may not be able to access local, fresh, mostly organic foods. And one of the things that I I think makes this program so important is not only are we bringing access to locally grown produce, but we're also, we work with 14 community ambassadors. So these are people that live at the senior centers that are from the community. And we, we train them and provide them with stipends to help be our on-the-ground folks to provide logistical support and help get out the word and make sure that we're doing right by our, our program. Like you mentioned, having the right products, making sure they're culturally relevant. Then we also provide cooking education and nutrition lessons because I believe it's not nutrition unless it's eaten. So we offer, we have two nutrition educators that will provide cooking demos and teach people how to use local ingredients to make really simple, easy, tasty recipes on a budget. And um, people love the recipe demonstrations and also will then, um, so last month we did a whole theme focused on cabbage and many different ways that you can incorporate cabbage into your diet. And the recipes were really popular. And then it increases sales on the truck and all of the funds go back to the farmers. So last year, we increased income for farmers for about one hundred thirty-six thousand dollars. Wow! Through sales of produce on the truck. So,
0: Robbie, I would imagine that that sort of program would be really beneficial in Alaska. Yeah. Both the uh, the meeting people where they are and the educational part.
1: Yeah, I am. You got me thinking about our food hub that we developed. And just so folks know what a food hub is, it's. Um, Uh, generally a central location where farmers will come and drop off uh, local food products and then people aggregate them into individual orders or orders to restaurants things like that so here in homer our uh, alaska food hub it's Could be a little bit more creative of a name, but the Alaska Food Hub works uh, closely with the Homer Farmers Market. And we have, you know, probably about half of the same farmers sell on the Food Hub and the Farmers Market. So that worked out really well during COVID um, because we had folks that didn't want to come to the market so we could push them over to the Food Hub. But um, our Food Hub, actually serves, um, communities off our road system. So across, uh, Ketchumac Bay and Homer, there are, um, three fly-in, boat-in only areas that we actually fly, um, local food to. So not quite a roaming vehicle, but, um, flown it on the planes. And then we also have a couple of, um, communities that are in uh, low access areas that we actually drive local food orders to as well.
0: So we know one thing that is top of mind for everyone in the agricultural field, but will really specifically impact farmers markets and a lot of the work that American Farmland Trust is doing is the farm bill that is working its way through the legislature this year. Michaela, can you talk about American Farmland Trust's work with the Farm Bill specifically?
3: So my work, um, I'm the New York State policy manager. So I really focus on New York State policies. Um, But there are a lot of opportunities in this year's Farm Bill that we're excited about for our local producers in New York State. So The first thing I'll say about the Farm Bill is that everyone should be aware that decisions about the future of farming and food will be made in this year's Farm Bill. And this piece of legislation is only up for renewal every five years. So that's why advocacy around the Farm Bill this year is so, so important. Um, And as you just mentioned, Gibson, this piece of legislation not only covers funding of farm focused and agriculturally focused programs, but also nutrition assistance program. So it's a really important piece of legislation um, that is very complicated, uh, (laughs) and there's a lot to it. So we'll dive into that. But this year, the American Farmland Trust really has three main priorities for the farm bill, um, and these are protecting our threatened agricultural land base, right? There's a finite amount of farmland, and we want to make sure it's protected so that we can continue to have food, period. To increase funding for and reform the Agricultural Conservation Easement Program to expand landowner participation and improve program delivery. And then the second piece of protecting this farmland is to strengthen the Farmland Protection Policy Act, also known as FPPA. And there's more information about those two pieces on the American Farmland Trust um, Farm Bill policy platform, which will be linked in the show notes. We're supporting producers and accessing land and growing viable businesses. Um, so the opportunities that we have under that bucket of priorities, um, there's actually five. So we're asking for this farm bill to provide dedicated funding for the business technical assistance program. Um, To permanently establish the Farm Service Agency's Increasing Land Capital and Market Access Program. So that does touch on farmers markets. Um, Establish an Office of Small Farms. And I'd be happy to talk about the importance of that in a little bit for the small producers that tend to be at farmers markets. Um, The fourth is to update the Tenure, Ownership, and Transfer of Agricultural Land Survey, also called TOTAL if you like nice acronyms. Um, And then finally establish a commission on farmland transition. Um, So AFT is advocating for the creation of an office of small farms located within the USDA. That does not exist yet, but we would like that to be created to support small farmers across the country. Um, And this would ensure that the department allocates sufficient time and resources to supporting small scale operations. So this is important, particularly in the Northeast, and to me as a New Yorker, because over 88% of farms in New York State are considered small scale by the USDA. And actually in New York, 88% of farms gross under $250,000 in net farm sales. Um, But the USDA's definition of a small farm is actually grossing under $350,000 of farm income. So... We're even smaller than that, most of our producers. So it's very important that this office is created, at least here in New York, and and I imagine in other um, states that have many small producers. And we know that small farms often remain underserved by the USDA and have been in the past because the USDA has traditionally focused its attention on larger scale operations. But I also want to highlight what an important opportunity this is for equity in the food system. So producers who operate small farms are more likely than midsize or larger scale producers to identify as female, Hispanic, Black, or other historically resilient identities. So the USDA could really take a step towards advancing equity in program enrollment simply by ensuring that their programs work for small farms.
0: And does that include, are they making loans for new farmers to buy farmland or or existing farmers to buy more farmland or equipment?
3: There are opportunities through the USDA um, for loans for capital for farmers, for sure. Um, I am not even aware of all of the loan programs, but they do exist. But there has been historical inequities with USDA lending where majority white producers have been provided with these loans. And so simply by supporting more small-scale producers, we can start to address those historical inequities. That's one way to start that process.
0: And Robbie, do you have indigenous peoples farming in your state? Yeah, we do.
1: And there's actually a great training program that's uh, being developed by um, a farmer's market. It's uh, the Calypso Ecological Center in Fairbanks. And they have, in the past couple of years, shifted towards offering rural and indigenous farmer training programs that's subsidized through other grants. I'm not sure if it's a USDA one or what. so.
2: So one thing I just wanted to share based on Michaela's conversation about subsidies. So, in California, only 8% of farmers receive federal government subsidy payments. And these are payments that traditionally go towards large-scale commodities like soy, corn, wheat, cotton, and rice, federally. So, most small farmers are not receiving government subsidy payments. And they have to rely on sales through local channels like farmer's markets and farm stands and community-supported agriculture. And we're hopeful the Farm Bill would be able to change this, but we are uh, not entirely optimistic about it. But but the other thing too that we're doing here in California is we aim as part of a, a, a coalition called the Food and Farm Resilience Coalition. And there are a number of sustainable ag, food access, farm worker safety groups, So we actually work closely with the American Farmland Trust affiliated in California, and we have co-sponsored a bond. It's Assembly Bill 408, the Food and Farm Resilience Bond. And this would actually invest over $3 billion over five years in farm worker safety and well-being, healthy food access, climate resilient farms and regional food economies to shorten the distance from farm to table. So that bill is currently going through the California Legislative Committee. It's been approved by both the Agriculture Committee and the Natural Resources Committee, which is really exciting. So we we hope there's change from the federal government, but we also are working to create change here within California as well.
0: And and the AFT's role is, I mean, you're in New York, you have people in Washington that are going and meeting with our Congress people and telling them, you know, what the farmer's market or what the farm bill means um, on the ground?
3: Yes, we have a very robust federal policy team who is focused on our farm bill um, platform this year. They are doing incredible work right now, lobbying with the Senate and with the Congress um, to ensure that these pieces and opportunities of the farm bill are advanced. And they're working with many different partner organizations across the country Um, but they are physically in DC right now, uh, advocating for changes in the farm bill. It's really exciting. So if you'd like to know more about our 2023 farm bill platform and how to get involved, you can visit farmland.org slash farm bill 2023. And I will make sure that that link is in the show notes, Um, And the whole team is linked on that page. You can also reach out to any individual team member working on that with any questions you might have. And they do have um, various actions you can take depending on your comfort level. If you happen to be a New Yorker who's also interested in getting involved, you can reach out to me directly um, to get in touch with our coalition efforts. um, And we can talk through that and you can contact me at mperry at farmland.org. I mean, are
0: we asking, Michaela, are we asking people to um, write letters, to call their, you know, their own congressperson and tell them how interested, you know, they are in in the Farm Bill in general and in certain parts of it? Is that what it's, from a a listener perspective, um, what can we each do to make a difference?
3: For anyone who's hoping to get involved or needs language or verbiage to contact their representatives, you can visit our Farm Bill Policy Platform page linked in the show notes and um, contact the federal team and they will help point you in the right direction based on how you're hoping to be involved and advocate for these important policies in this year's Farm Bill.
0: Fantastic. I would say also like Go to your farmer's market. Uh, I know the Marin Farmer's Market has an information booth. Probably anybody on Andy's team who's there um, could, could tell you what that farmer's market organization is looking for for from the farm bill. And I would say, you know, your farmer's market's everywhere. Your local farmer's market, go ask them, you know, what they care about in the farm bill and how you can help.
2: Yeah, and Gibson, we actually hosted earlier this year a roundtable with Congressman Jared Huffman. It was Atkins Institute Marin, the SF Marin Food Bank, the Redwood Empire Food Bank, the California Indian Museum and Cultural Center, and farmers to talk about our priorities for a better farm bill. And we were really focused on, number one, uh, increasing and protecting the value of the SNAP program, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, food stamps rates of hunger increased during the COVID pandemic. And now what we're finding is that there were additional benefits provided to households to spend with SNAP during COVID. They were called emergency allotments. Those have ended. So most families that were receiving food stamps or SNAP or CalFresh in California, they're now experiencing a reduction in the amount of benefits they receive, which the timing is awful just given the increase in the cost of food So food's more expensive, but SNAP benefits are declining. So we're hopeful the new farm bill will preserve the value of SNAP benefits because people can use their benefits to shop at grocery stores and farmer's markets. And for us, the farmer's market EBT program is really important. We, in 2022, we distributed over $748,000 in EBT benefits for people to shop for fresh fruits and vegetables, dairy products, uh, meat, fish, bread, grains, and things like that as part of a healthy diet. But then we also provide a market match. And this is funded by the Gus Schumacher Nutrition Incentive Program or GUSNIP. That's one of the programs in the Farm Bill. So what we do, and a lot of states have different versions of this. So in California, through Market Match, we offer a match, a dollar for dollar match up to $10 per day per market for free fruits and vegetables. So if someone comes to spend $10, we match them, so their $10 becomes 20, and then they can use those additional benefits to buy fresh fruits and vegetables. And the beauty of the program is that 100% of that benefit that's spent goes direct to the farmer. There's no middleman that takes a cut, it goes right to the farmer. So it's it's really an important program because it helps to nourish our community members experiencing hunger, It increases revenue for small farmers and also those funds then get redistributed in our local economy, creates jobs, supports economic development. And the Gus Schumacher Nutrition Incentive Program is one of the programs that's part of the Farm Bill. It's under the nutrition title, along with SNAP. So we definitely are asking for increases in funding to preserve that program. It's really important in California and many other states. And we're also asking for uh, additional support for what's called LAMP. It's the Local Agricultural Marketing Program. And LAMP provides grants to farmers markets and producers. So there's the Farmers Market Promotion Program, the Local Food Promotion Program, the Regional Food Systems Partnership Program. And these programs help to preserve and strengthen our local and regional food systems. And the Farm Bill is what provides the authorization for it. We know that we have producers that um, will use these grants to support creating uh, local meat processing centers so they can uh, process meat products for local distribution or creating food hubs like Robbie was talking about or um, for us providing training and technical assistance programs. Another important program with the Farm Bill is the Senior Farmers Market Nutrition Program. So there is a grant program where departments of aging receive funds to give to older adults ages 60 years and older uh, with limited incomes where they get vouchers where they can go and shop the farmer's market to buy fresh fruits and vegetables. And this program is very, has very low funding for it. So seniors don't get, they'll get a one-time payment of about, I think it's like between 20 to $50 per season, depending upon the state. So we'd love to increase the value of that. So that way more older adults experiencing hunger can shop their local farmer's market and the farm bill would make that possible. Wow.
0: Robbie, do you have anything to add? I do,
1: just to piggyback off what Andy said, the importance of our SNAP matching and WIC in senior nutrition at their markets. Um, last year, uh, we worked with a coalition of food access organizations to get our state legislature to actually provide a half million Match. So just uh, being able to proposition those lawmakers with hey, if you can match these federal dollars, we can create a lot more economic activity while we're feeding Alaskans and helping improve our security. So um, programs like that in the Farm Bill are directly impacting our state. And then one other program that is in the Farm Bill that every most people might not know about is the micro grants for food security. Um, so this is um, specific to Hawaii, Alaska, and um, the. Uh, non-contiguous um, territory. So um, that was our Senator Lisa Murkowski um, made that a priority in the 2018 um, farm bill and hoping it um, stays in there this time around and gets more funding. But that has provided um, very small pots of money in the grand scheme of things. So say up to 5,000 for um, per individual to um address food security and however they interpret it. So maybe they are buying uh, food preservation equipment. Maybe they are putting up a community greenhouse in, in an area that has no grocery store. Um, maybe it's a farmer's market vendor that is buying some much needed fencing or equipment. So um, these small uh, micro investments are having a, a macro impact. Yeah, another uh, big piece of the Farm Bill that's been really impactful for Alaska are the LAMP grants that Andy mentioned. So the um, Farmer's Market Promotion Program, Um, I think I'm on my third one now, supporting farmers markets, building out resources, um, offering marketing assistance and collective marketing. We've built a beautiful directory with the help of Edible as well. Um, Great. Yeah, yeah. And we did start our food hub with a local food promotion program grant. And I believe there are three other food hubs in our state that have also accessed that those funding Um, sources. And then finally, um, the Regional Food System Partnership Grant, that was a new one um, in 2020. And the Alaska Food Policy Council, um, we kind of jumped on it before, um, while it was still open to interpretation. And we were able to create a statewide food security action plan um, through a two-year process and over 50 organizations and about 325 Alaskans contributed to this. And now we are moving towards an implementation phase. Like, great, we have all these wonderful ideas that were sourced from the community up. And now let's go and let's go and do the work and start implementing some of these projects. So um, this funding's made a tremendous impact to our state um, but at the same time, I do want to recognize that these are not easy grants to get. Um, a lot of them require match.
0: Um, some of it catch
1: match, which can be really um, prohibitive to a lot of smaller um, organizations.
0: Well, you're all doing oh, such important work. Thank you for every everything you do. Um, Michaela would love to know the American farmland trust you're supported by what private donations as well as, I don't know, do you get governmental funding, but how, how can people support AFT and its work? Great question.
3: So, um, we are a membership organization. So first and foremost, I would say if you love the work that we do and want to support it, you can become a member and, um, donate in that way. We do take private donations. Um, some of our private donors will donate to projects that we have that they feel very invested in. Um, so that's also an option. And we have, we just work so closely with our donors and have incredibly passionate people who are investing in the, this work that's being done. So I just want to thank them. Um, and then we're also funded through grant programs like grant programs that might be, uh, funded through the farm bills. So, um, the USDA and other grant programs are very important to the work that we do. Um, so those are our three main, main, um, sources to continue this very important work and, and support producers. Um, so yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so everybody listening, I know we're preaching to the choir, but I hope they'll become evangelist um, to the rest of the world, I mean, if you eat, you should care about where your food comes from and who grows it, and if if the growing methods are taking care of the land, if they're taking care of the people who work for them growing the food. Um, we're all in this together, and there's certainly ways that agriculture done correctly can reverse climate change with carbon farming. That's a topic for a whole nother show. We won't get into that here, but you know, if you eat, you should care about these programs. So that's everybody. And we we really do appreciate everyone's work. As I said, nobody's getting into farming to get rich. They're doing it because they love the work that they're doing. And we are seeing new farmers come in as we're seeing, you know, generational farmers deciding they don't want to be farmers anymore, but we're seeing new farmers come in, which is so crucial and it's exciting. And I encourage everyone to shop their local farmer's market, meet their farmer, rancher, cheesemaker, lots of chefs doing prepared food there and vote for your favorite Local farmers market, Michaela, the voting opens
3: June? June 19th and closes on September 18th.
0: So Michaela, where our listeners can go to vote is markets.farmland.org. That is correct. Yeah. And I imagine Andy and Robbie, you do local promotion to make sure that you're the winner.
2: We've done some promotion. We've come close. It's quite the contest, I will say that. So, okay. the, the stakes are high.
3: <laughs> that just made me think that earlier this year, I was invited to testify in front of the New York Senate regarding the Climate Action Council's scoping plan. And I really just want to second what you just said and say that farmers really are a part of the climate solution. And they help to mitigate the climate crisis in four very specific ways. The first is that they have the option to reduce greenhouse gas emissions through climate smart practices. The second is that they can increase carbon sequestration in soils. Three, they can permanently protect farmland from development, which releases more CO2 into the atmosphere. And four is that they can host well-sited renewable energy projects like solar on-farm, if that makes sense for them. But really, farmers are not the problem in the climate crisis. They are a part of the solution. And it's important that consumers understand that and support them, you know, via maybe shopping at your local farmers markets or getting engaged in something like farm to institution, farm to school, since not all farmers are near a farmer's market. But really thinking about how can you support your producer because they really are working so hard around the clock to make sure that we have a food future
0: all right well thank you for joining us today at eat drink think if you like this episode be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast and don't forget to pick up your local edible magazine and you can find show notes for today's episode at ediblecommunities.com